Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Curtis Thompson. Curtis, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, Alex. Um, my name's Curtis Thompson. I'm the Chief Revenue and Analytics Officer for uh, Feltzberg. Uh, and Feltzberg is a portfolio of companies in the electrical distribution space. Uh, and we have a mission to simplify uh, our people uh, and our customers work. You are in kind of in a high level analytics role. So what are the kind of numbers that you look at when you're determining what's going on in the business? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the, the obvious stuff, um, you know, revenue, um, you know, in, in our industry, gross profit is sort of the, the number one uh, key performance indicator. Um, gross profit is, is what we use to, uh, to, to pay all the bills within the business. Um, you know, before we understand, you know, what our, what our net is. And so, um, you know, I, I focus on metrics like our top line revenue. Um, I focus uh, on our gross profit percentage. Um, I focus on our gross profit dollars. Um, I focus on, um, you know, those metrics relative to the overall business, but also um, focusing on, on specific customers, um, you know, large customers all the way down to, you know, newer customers that, that we're trying to engage and, and build relationships with. Um, and, you know, ultimately, we're trying to build um, a business that really, um, you know, makes our customers' lives easier, uh, hence our mission, um, you know, and, and allows us to build a, a long-term, sustainable, profitable enterprise where we can attract world-class people um, and, you know, provide them a, a, a career where they feel like they're part of something uh, bigger than themselves and, and are really, um, you know, developing uh, or creating, creating value uh, within the marketplace and, and for our customers. Yeah. So can you talk more about the value that you provide to your customers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's funny, um, Alex, I, I often say fundamentally what we do is, is we, uh, we keep the lights on, right? So um, we, we sell everything that um, primarily companies, we don't focus much on the residential side of the market, but it's, it's more on commercial and industrial um, anything that, uh, you know, a, a company would need to uh, retrofit uh, a building to build something from scratch, brand new construction, um, we sell. And it's actually a fairly simple business, to be honest. Um, our customers need products um, at certain locations where they are, you know, doing one of those two things, primarily the retrofitting something. Uh, replacing something, maintaining something, or building something new from scratch, um, they need uh, you know all of the the, the, the products um, that go into you know achieving that uh, on time um, and and in a way that that doesn't slow down the the uh, you know whatever the project is that that they're working on. And so you know our value is about having the right uh, products in, in stock. Um, when somebody needs it for whatever the project is that they're working on, number one. Um, our customers also rely on us for our expertise and the experience that we have. And, um, you know, the, these companies have, have been in existence for uh, 20 plus years at this point. And um, a lot of our people have been with us since the beginning. Um, we have really long tenure generally 
within our uh, within our companies. Um, and so, you know, those people have learned a lot about the business that we're in over the years. And so we're able to provide uh, expertise to people. And, you know, we, we do an, a number of things. Uh, we, we focus on uh, projects for people. Uh, we specialize in lighting. We specialize in, uh, in gear. Um, and we have experts in the business that um, will make it easier for, for our customers to understand what it is they need. Um, you know, we're in a, a very, very tight supply chain right now, Alex, as you're probably aware of. We're all experiencing that as consumers. Um, and that is certainly the case uh, within the electrical business as well. And so oftentimes, um, you know, somebody might come to us and they've engineered uh, a system and they want our assistance with it. And yet the, the items that were engineered into that by somebody, you know, sitting, sitting in an office somewhere, an engineer sitting some, somewhere trying to figure out what they think um, would be the best uh, type of solution to put together. And yet those products are not available. And so we help find alternatives. We find things that are same form, fit and function. Um, oftentimes we can save people money in doing that as well. Um, and ultimately our goal is to deliver a solution that works. Uh, based on input from from our customers, um, you know, on time and 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 on budget. Very cool, very cool. Um, and and I can tell that you have this really high level perspective that of of what the business does for all of the clients in general. But I can tell that there's a lot of very specific integrations and cases under all of that that you know you probably wouldn't have enough time to go into. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, our our business is, uh, is is pretty interesting. It's um, it's rare that we that we see the same request twice. Honestly, you know, everybody's needs are very very different. Um, you know, I've I've been with the business for just over five years. Um, I, I prior to that, I was in the software business for about fifteen years, um, and. You know, analytics was was uh, was something that was important in uh, in that phase of my career, and so I brought that into Feldsberg when I arrived. Um, and we actually went when I got there. We actually had some pretty good tools to do um, analytics. You know, we we have a um, an ERP system that we manage uh, our revenue forecasts, we manage inventory, that sort of thing. Uh, typically, the reporting uh, of systems like that isn't isn't great. Honestly, it's not that simple to use, and so we have an analytics package that sits on top of that. Um, that is incredibly easy to use and um, allows me within, you know, typically five minutes or less to dig into a data set, um, you know, look at a piece of the business, um, you know, whether it be on the purchasing side of what we do, whether it be on the revenue side of what we do, whether it be looking at specific customers and, and why, um, you know, we're growing uh, you know, with, with certain customers or, or why we're not growing with certain customers um, and ask questions of the data uh, that, that really provides us with some guidance on where we need to focus. And, um, you know, uh, I, I believe that focus is incredibly important. You know, not everything is a priority. So um, the, the, uh, the analytics package allows me to really figure out, you know, where I need to uh, focus my time and energy and where I need to focus my teams and the organization's time, energy and resources in order to, um, you know, focus on on uh, on achieving our overall objectives for, you know, the month, the quarter and, and you know, ultimately each year. And 
you know, it's it's uh, almost the end of January. I mean, I'm I'm coming out of almost, if you can believe it, three months worth of planning and forecasting and, you know, building new comp plans and building revenue forecasts and profitability forecasts and, um, you know, focus on, on what each of the companies within our portfolio needs to achieve this year in order to, to um, achieve our overall corporate goals. And so, you know, analytics underpins all of that. Where did you learn... Um, how to do analytics? Um, well, that's a that's an interesting question. You know, um, one thing that I found really, really valuable when I joined uh, Feltzberg um, was that I didn't come from the industry. You know, I came from a very different industry. Um, earlier in my career, uh, I, I spent a couple of years in distribution. It was a different a different part of distribution. It was uh, it was more like MRO distribution, which is um, you know, uh, different than, than electrical distribution, but you know, the, the, the business model is, is fairly similar. And so I saw how powerful distribution as a model was, and it was one of the reasons why I decided to, to join this business, but I really didn't know anything about the industry. Um, I joined some, some friends that I'd known for some time, um, and, uh, and, and, and made that career change. And so, given that I didn't know what I didn't know, I kind of came in with a fresh perspective and I started asking different questions. Uh, and I, I used data and I used analytics to, uh, to answer those questions. And it, and it allowed me to take a different view of the type of products we were buying. Um, I really dug into what was moving the needle on, uh, on revenue for the business. And, you know, we're in a very product centric industry. You have to have the right items um, and it pays to have them in our inventory on the shelf so that when it, uh, one of our customers calls us, we're able to uh, you know, execute on it immediately and they don't have to wait. Um, and one of the big values, you asked me about value uh, a few minutes ago. One of the big values that we really focus on is, is being able to help solve a problem for a customer right now. Because one thing that I um, really impress upon our sales organization is that every single day when our customers wake up, uh, and they come into work, they've got a laundry list of, of, of challenges and, and problems and, and ultimately opportunities. You know, they're kind of um, two sides of, of the same coin that they need help with. And they are going to turn to the company, uh, you know, and, and partners that really help them do that. And speed is of the essence. Right. So, you know, when you've got a long when you've got a laundry list of things that, that you need to get done, uh, if somebody can solve one of those uh, challenges for you right now and you can kind of check it off your list and move on, it, there's a huge value there. And that's something that we, we really focus on. And so having the right inventory is, is critical. So, you know, I, I just sort of asked some general what seemed to me at the time to be common sense questions about what were, what were really the items that were driving the revenue for us and, um, you know, how could we change the way we thought about procuring uh, those products um, so that we were out of them less, right? So that we could say yes more often, um, you know, when our, when our customers called. And we were able to put a framework in place to achieve that. And um, that framework still guides a lot of what we do within our businesses. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen a, a lot of success over the last five years as a result. That's interesting. And and I really like that you're using analytics to identify growth opportunities. That's something that I also try to do in, in my role. And I think it's critical to any analytics role um, to be asking those questions. So along that note, do you have any advice for 
other business, uh, you know, I guess business leaders or analysts to um, try to put a number on the value that their initiative is driving or, or trying to figure out a growth opportunity? How do you, how would you go about like identifying those growth opportunities or what, what recommendations would you have? Yeah, my, my first recommendation, if you don't have one, is to, is to hire an analyst. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I wear a lot of hats in our business. And so um, while I really enjoy digging into the data, um, it's certainly not the only thing that I do. I, I don't have the bandwidth to do it all on my own. Um, when I joined the business, we actually had an analyst. Um, was not the right fit for what, what we uh, needed. And so I went out and I found somebody else. And, um, you know, th- there has just been a, a huge amount of value generated in our organization from, uh, from having that role and having the right person in that role in the business. Um, I'm now onto my fourth analyst in five years. Um, the reason for that is that we, we keep promoting these people into more senior roles within the business. And so, you know, we, we set about really trying to be thoughtful about the type of person that, that we needed, um, you know, to, to, to play that critical role in the business. And, you know, it, it, it starts with finding people who are just bright, you know, intelligent people. I, I, can't, I can't teach intelligence. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we put some, uh, some tests together to, to sort of, um, you know, test the people's aptitude for solving particular problems. And we were looking for somebody who could think critically about the business, um, not just, uh, you know, work with our, our analytics solution and just dump numbers into my lap or into the, the management organization's lap, but actually look at the data, um, form an opinion on what it said, and provide some guidance working with me and, and, and with our, uh, the rest of our leadership in order to be thoughtful about how we would, how we would use that information. And so, you know, almost on a daily basis, new questions that we need answers to come up in the business. And I'm incredibly reliant, um, you know, on, on this analyst. And, you know, I actually have used uh, each subsequent analyst to help me find the next person in the role, because um, what I've what I've found, and it's uh, you know again, it's it's been one of the best um, strategies that that we've used in our business to find the the right people um, is that you know th- those people know other folks within their network that uh, that are probably interested in a role like this. Um, you know, have the, you know, have the, 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 the raw smarts, uh, are critical thinkers, um, and are interested in, um, building a career for themselves. So, you know, we, we train people when they come in, I don't expect them to come in with all of the analytics chops that we need. Um, you know, people have to do a lot of work in Excel. Um, we actually train everybody how to use SQL as well, because um, part of the analytics solution we have, um, you've got to pull different tables together with SQL. And so we find people who are interested in a career path like that and, and want to be trained um, and, and, and want to grow within a role like that. And we've been incredibly successful doing it. So um, you know, the, the, the things that we focus on on those people doing are, are really incredibly varied. There's a, there's a lot on the purchasing side still, because going back to what I said earlier, you know, a lot of, about the products that we have in the business drives success for us. Um, but there is a, a, a lot of analytics done around, you know, what sort of strategies could we put in place? What sort of tools 
do we have at our disposal um, to drive increased share of wallet over time from our customers? Um, you know, what sort of customers should we focus on in the first place, right? Um, where do we have a competitive advantage? You know, I can't be all things to all people. So um, we are uh, a growing organization, but, but you know, still relatively small. We have scarce resources. I mean, I think that's true of, of everybody. Um, you know, even Google or Facebook have scarce resources. And so, you know, an organization like ours definitely does. And so we have to be really, really thoughtful about, um, you know, where we focus. Uh, and where I, uh, I, I, I use this person's time. Um, I also, um, you know, look at things like, uh, you know, the type of, of, uh, of plans I can put together for our selling organization that'll, that'll motor, motivate the right behavior, um, you know, and, and, and focus our selling organization on the right things. And I have the analyst, you know, uh, help me put together, uh, you know, compensation plans and that sort of thing that, that will, that will, uh, um, that aligns the businesses and uh, the businesses focus um, with a focus for our people and, and aligns uh, incentives in that way. So, um, you know, the, the analyst is really involved in, in a lot of stuff. But, you know, for, for me, um, the hardest thing to do in business, Alex, is, is to find the right people. And, you know, I've made plenty of hiring mistakes in my career. Um, you know, I sort of changed the way I thought about um, bringing people into the organization uh, somewhere between, I'd say five to 10 years ago. And since I've done that, it's not like I don't make any hiring mistakes. Uh, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do to find great people, but, um, I've gotten better at it over time as I've focused on, um, you know, certain fundamentals versus, uh, versus experience. I, I, I describe it as, as hiring athletes versus hiring experts. Um, what I found over my career is that, um, just because somebody did something well in the past, and they might have done it well in your industry, by the way, doesn't mean that they'll be successful in my organization. And so I'm looking for people with fundamental um, traits uh, and shared values. Um, and I've, I've had a lot more success with that. Interesting. And what are some red flags or things that you try to avoid? Um, the, the first thing that we try to understand is whether or not this person's going to be a culture fit. Um, do they share the values that we have? Are the things that are important to us important to them? Um, you know, I mentioned our mission statement a couple of times. If somebody doesn't care or doesn't see value in um, making our, our organization easy to do business with or doesn't care about trying to help um, break down barriers within our organization to make it easier for our people to be successful, then they won't be successful with us because that's incredibly important to us. Um, so, you know, I, I, I start trying to understand stuff like that. Um, I'm actually trying to hire somebody right now and my HR director just sent them a critical thinking test. So not only when I'm interviewing them, do I ask them for examples of of, uh, you know, times where they've had to solve problems, you know, things, things crop up every single day. I mean, certainly in this pandemic that we've all been dealing with for almost two years now, you know, every day is kind of like, you know, a new day, right? There's something that comes up that we've never dealt with before. And so you need people and you need smart people around the table who are capable of solving problems, um, you know, without all of the information that they need. So, you know, we try to test for, for critical thinking. Um, you know, I, I, I look for people who are 
who have energy and are passionate uh, and are looking to be part of building a great organization. You know, they, they want, you know, when, when, they're, when they're going to the family birthday party, the family barbecue, that, you know, they're out of the business and somebody asks them what to, you know, what they do. Uh, I would like to think that part of the answer is, you know, work for a great organization who, uh, you know, who's, who's trying hard to simplify uh, the lives of our customers. And we, ha- you know, we happen to be in the electrical business, but we're really focused on um, making our, our customers' lives easier. Um, and if, if that's important to them, they see the value in that, then they understand that, you know, we're, we're not, I'm not just trying to sell somebody a circuit breaker, I'm not just trying to sell them a bell of wire. Um, I'm trying to actually build a relationship um, that persists over time where, where uh, a relationship that's really based on trust. And, you know, that trust is earned by, you know, under promising and over delivering and really, um, you know, building systems that, that do make us easier to do business with than, you know, whoever our competition is. I like that you mentioned earning people's trust and it, it makes me think of uh, another question I had for you, which is around conflict resolution at work. So as a leader, I'm sure you've, you've seen a lot of disagreements and sometimes it's good. Sometimes it, you know, it doesn't get resolved uh, properly. And so how, how do you recommend you know, or what are some tips you have for how to resolve conflicts at work? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, actually, early in my tenure at, at Felsberg, we, we had kind of lost our way in, uh, in a couple of our, uh, couple of our companies from a cultural perspective. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I, I think that if you don't, communicate effectively with people about what your expectations are and what being part of a great organization looks like and what your values are and the things that are important to you uh, and people don't understand that then um, you know they're going to act in ways that um, might benefit them to the detriment of the organization or might benefit them to the detriment of customers certainly and um, you know we we had to take a step back, um, communicate clearly what our expectations were, communicate clearly where we were going, communicate clearly what our values were, um, and understand whether or not the people who were in the organization wanted to be part of that. Uh, And those that did, uh, their behavior changed and it changed pretty quickly. And those that didn't, um, you know, we, we had to move out of the organization. You know, strong cultures, Alex, eject the wrong people out of them and it, and it happens pretty naturally um, and and you know it takes courage on the part of the leadership and the organization to do that because sometimes you can have people that are performing but they um, are creating cultural issues for you and, and creating conflict to your point um, and so you know you kind of got to decide what's more important I mean uh, are we willing to put up with bad behavior for good performance um, which sends the wrong signal to the entire organization about what's acceptable or what's not acceptable, or do we start with our values um, and really drive, you know, expectations from that? And, and once we started doing that consistently with support from all of our leadership, um, you know, pe- people got the message pretty quickly and we were able to resolve conflicts a lot more quickly and a lot more effectively. Would you say culture comes from the top down? Um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, um, 
people are looking for for signals and guidance from their leadership. Um, and you know, honestly, culture can come from anywhere in the organization where leaders uh, are operating. I mean, it, it doesn't all have to come from the CEO. Um, you know, you could be a line manager somewhere, and uh, if you don't believe that the culture of the organization is um, is benefiting uh, the rest of the organization, the people in the organization, like the stakeholders, right? So who are the stakeholders? Stakeholders are the uh, the the people in the organization, customers, obviously, partners, um, you know, shareholders. Let's say uh, if if something about the culture is not benefiting that, you can make a change within your sphere of influence. Um, and so, you know, it certainly works best if uh, culture is driven from the top and and it's the right culture. And I think if you're not at the top of an organization, but you're a leader in the business somewhere, uh, and you start to make changes that are beneficial and that create a more productive culture, um, I think that you can spread that you can sp spread that productive change, uh, you know, from a from a starting point somewhere in the middle of the organization. Um, just as culture can, just as negative culture can spread from anywhere in the business, positive culture can spread from anywhere in the business as well. Um, for us, we 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 had to align our leadership. Um, and make sure that everybody supported what we were doing and the changes we were making and the expectations that we were setting for people in order for everybody to understand that there was no room anymore for bad behavior. And, you know, once we did that, then then the change came pretty rapidly. That's great. I, I want to ask about the analyst and executive relationship and kind of the like the the general story of it so is it that you generally are asking questions and determining the priorities and the analyst is primarily in charge of answering the questions or is it that the analyst asks the questions and you field them and help prioritize how what is the direction of of how the work typically goes yeah, I mean, it's it's typically top down, um, and there's a simple reason for that. You know, the the four analysts that I have recruited um, since I've been here, none of them have come from our business, right? So they've had to learn what we do on the fly. And um, you know, what one thing that I learned early, actually, from the first lady that I brought on, was that you know she she told me early in her tenure, she said, you know, I need to spend some more time you know, out in the warehouse, understanding all of these part numbers that I'm looking at on a spreadsheet, because it's just meaningless to me right now. Like I need to be able to touch and feel the stuff so that I can kind of when I'm looking at, you know, what at, at this uh, line item for a THQB 1120, which is a, a GE General Electric circuit breaker, I actually know what that looks like. And I can kind of put a product to what I'm looking at on the page. And so that was important for those, you know, for, for that role to just really um, have meaning in the analysis that, that they were doing. Um, and, you know, over time, as people are in the business longer and longer, they understand what we do better and better, but it takes time, right? And my analysts have only really stayed with me for just over 12 months before we've, you know, we, we, we progress them in the organization because, We've hired good people, as I was talking about before, uh, and we have a need for uh, promoting good people in the business. And so, uh, you know, uh, that that role has really become a great 
um, you know, proven ground for other folks in the business. As a result of that, you know, the vast majority of the, uh, the analytics that we're doing is being driven by me or somebody else in leadership who, you know, understands the business has been doing this, you know, for uh, on a relative scale, certainly a long time. And uh, there are specific questions that we need answered. And, you know, we're, we're working through the analysts to answer those questions. That makes sense. Um, it's great that you, uh, that, you know, it, it appears that you're really training people well if you promote them that quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're doing a good job of that, honestly. Um, and, you know, we, you know, look, one of the other things that I, I think is critical in business is, is being able to scale success, right? So, you know, um, we, we, we try and one of the other ways that we use analytics is to try and take as much of the randomness out of what happens in the business as possible. As, as things start to go well, we try and understand why that is. So what's replicable about the success? As things start to go sideways, we try and understand what's going on so that, um, you know, if we see a problem in one of the companies, uh, you know, we, we, we work to communicate that across the entire organization to the other business units um, so that we can be proactive about addressing that before it becomes a problem, um, you know, for them. And so, uh, you know, we um, do spend a lot of time fairly early in the tenure of people training them to be effective and efficient because, um, you know, some of the projects can take a long time. There's a lot of data. You know, we, we invest in, in good hardware for these people because, you know, they, they can be crunching, um, you know, thousands of rows of, of, of information um, and, and coming up with insights that, that when we ask the right questions and we put, you know, those questions in front of, you know, these smart people, capable people, um, the insights that they come up with uh, really move the needle in, in, in positive ways. And so um, as we have found the type of training that works for us, um, each subsequent person that's come in, you know, they, they come in with, with varying levels of, of knowledge in Excel, let's say. Um, not a single person I've hired has, has had any SQL experience and yet understanding SQL and being able to use SQL effectively within the business is important. And so, you know, uh, that's one of the first things we do is we put them into uh, SQL tra uh, training. Um, and for those listening who know anything about SQL, um, you know, uh, the structure of the specific database that that whatever your business um, is working on, it's important to, to have people start to work in that and understand the structure of that data as quickly as possible. And so, you know, we, we team up, you know, the typically new analyst with somebody, uh, with, with the, the gentleman who kind of manages our data globally, and they spend time getting um, acclimated to our data, to the structure of our data, to our database. Um, and actually, you know, let's say within a, within a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a like a like a sandpit, like a play database. Start using SQL in 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 ways to try and answer questions where you know they can't do anything that will that will damage the existing structure of the of the working database that that you know the entire business runs on. And so they start to get familiar with what we do and and our data structure specifically. And um, we've seen their ability with things like SQL ramp up quickly over time. And so you know now that I'm on the onto the fourth analyst, there's kind of a formula, right? And so. Uh, while each individual is a little bit different, um, I've been able to replicate and scale the skill set pretty well 
um, as long as I hire kind of the right athlete. Uh, and I've, I've, I've been able to do that successfully now four times in a row. So, uh, you know, wish me luck. I really, I, I, I hope I can continue the hot streak. <laughs> That's really cool. That's, and I, and I really like that you call it an athlete because that was how I saw myself in my previous role. I was at IBM in performance marketing, and it really did feel like an Olympic sport to operate at the level that IBM operates at. I mean, if you think about it, it's an industry giant. I mean, it's been around for so long. Why has it been around? It's the, the quality and caliber of people. And so you, you look at it and there's so many training resources and um, like ways to be involved and interactive. And it, it really and and there's so much of like the fun side as well. Like there's like a community and, and it's like um, engaging and it did feel like a sport. It did feel like I was an athlete where I was putting in as much as as hard as I could. And there was everybody was supporting me and um, that it was a really healthy, uh, place to start my career because of all of those resources. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's great to hear that you've had that experience. Um, yeah, I mean, IBM's an incredible business, right? They've been a leader for, uh, decades now. Um, and you know, it's, that's really difficult to do, Alex, right? It's, it's difficult to have that sort of tenure. Um, you know, there's a there's a great book out there called Good to Great by a, an author called Jim Collins. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, you know, he did a ton of research on what makes highly successful organizations highly successful. Um, you know, and he, he compared a, a, a bunch of um, businesses that had had outgrown their competition and and had generated significant competitive advantage, and um, you know, compares and contrasts them to companies that have you know, been more mediocre over the same time frame. Um, the reason I raise it is that a lot of the companies that that he covered have since gone out of business. Um, you know, I don't know if you're old enough to remember uh, Circuit City. Circuit City was 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 Best Buy's biggest competitor back in the day. Well, I challenge you to find a Circuit City now. Uh, and he really called them out as being a leader, you know, in that consumer electronics space. And yet, and I can't remember exactly what happened to them, but, you know, they, they, it probably started with culture, right? They lost their way culturally. And so, you know, the point is it's difficult to stay a leader for uh, an extended period of time. Um, you know, many of the Fortune 500 companies that they have, that, that have been over history have, have, uh, have, have not only fallen out of the Fortune 500, but have gone out of business completely um, for various reasons. And so, you know, going back to my adage of the hardest thing to do in business is to find the right people. Um, if you, if you're not consistent and persistent about doing that, I, I, I think it's easy to, uh, for the culture to go sideways. Um, and, uh, you know, without a, w w without a strong culture, without a strong value system, without everybody being aligned, it's really difficult to be successful. And I think, um, the flip side is true. You know, if, if, if you can bring in the right people and they do share your values, um, what Simon Sinek calls your why, um, then, you know, you, you can build a successful business that sustains, you know, over, uh, over the long haul, whatever, you know, that, that long haul time frame is. Yeah. Who else do you follow or, or, you know, get, get advice from out on the internet or through books? 
Um, so I uh, actually have, you know, some some various mentors in my life that I, I talk to fairly regularly um, and have had lots of different um, books recommended to me. I'm not sure that I'm going to remember them all uh, on the spot right now while you and I are talking, but um, I, I do, uh, I, I, I certainly haven't made much time uh, in the last probably 10 years to, to read for pleasure. Um, Alex, uh, most of my reading is about, you know, uh, business culture, uh, high performing organizations, just sort of the, the, the things that, um, that I've tried to get better at over the course of, of my career. Um, there are a couple of books that I highly recommend and, and have all of my new hires, um, read. One is called, uh, The One Thing. And uh, I will tell you who it's by here in just a second. Uh, it's by an author called Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Um, I'll give you the 15-second overview. What the authors um, argue is that um, it's, it's impossible to, to split your focus uh, to more than really ultimately one thing. Uh, and they, they 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 take you through the the reasons why, um, and it's it's compelling. And you know, we we brought this culturally into our business about four years ago, and have seen a lot of success from it as well. And I'll give you one quick example from the book. So um, they talk about um, the, the the power of leverage and finding that one thing that um, and 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 their definition of the one thing is that if you succeed, if you accomplish the one thing, everything else becomes easier, right? And, you know, back to our mission, we, we talk about making our people and our customers' lives easy. So there is definitely some correlations between the, the things that um, I've found to be valuable over time and we as an organization have found to be valuable over time and sort of the things that, that we continue to drive in our business. But he gives this incredible example, incredible to me anyway, where he talks about if you push over a regular sized domino, the type of domino that you would see in any domino set, um, and that domino hits the next domino that is 50% bigger than it, and it hits the next domino which is 50% bigger than it, and so on and so forth, um, by the time you get to the 32nd domino in the chain of dominoes, that domino reaches from the earth to the moon. So what's the point, right? The, the point is if you can find that greatest leverage point, that one thing, um, and you can solve for that, then pretty quickly, um, it, it can have incredible and, and outsized results. Um, so that is uh, one, one book that I highly recommend people read. Um, there is another book called The Four, Tenden uh, Four Tendencies, uh, and that is by a lady author called... Bring it up right now. Gretchen Rubin, The Four Tendencies. And what, uh, what the author argues in that book is that um, all of us, the entirety of humanity, fits into um, four different basic uh, sort of personality groups. Uh, and if you go to uh, her website, GretchenRubin.com, uh, there's a quiz on there that will tell you which one of the four tendencies you are. And the tendencies are the obliger, the questioner, the rebel, and the upholder. Um, and it's really interesting. 
it, it will help you understand people in your personal life, people in your business life, people in your romantic life, uh, and the things that they uh, do and why they do them. Um, and it, 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 it gives you really um, productive tools to deal with these different personalities and it'll help explain, you know, kind of their behavior and, and how you can work with them most effectively. And so I, I have all of my new hires read both of those books um, and have had, uh, you know, a, a lot of success. And, you know, it comes back to the values and the culture, right, Alex? So, you know, if, if, if everyone's looking at the same content and they understand why it's valuable and why it's important, then when we're sitting down together and when I'm sitting down with my analyst and we're trying to, um, you know, solve a problem. And, and one of the things that I, I do, you know, consistently with one-on-ones with the analyst is, is we go through, you know, whatever, um, you know, they're working on. Like, what are all of the projects that you have? L- let me help you prioritize, you know, so that you can, you can focus on the one thing, get that done, because you know, there are multiple people within the organization who uh, are trying to get time with that person uh, and are throwing things at them um, and yet all of the projects, uh, by definition, are, are, are not a priority. Um, you, you know, um, they're, they're uh, uh, again, going back to the one thing really quickly, uh, they argue that um, priorities was never even pluralized until I think the 1970s. Like there was no notion of priorities. Priority was a singular thing. Um, and so, you know, that, that's that's one of the things that 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 we try, and it's difficult because you know every growing organization has lots going on, and everyone's you know thing is the most important thing to them. Well, you know we try and filter through that, prioritize, and and help um, people understand you know what we're doing now, why we're doing it, when it'll be finished, and when we have time to kind of get onto the you know, whatever the thing is that they're asking us to do. So, yeah, that that makes me think of the flavor of the month dilemma that a lot of big companies have where everybody's focused on one thing and then all of a sudden the shift focuses to something else. And this can leave employees feeling a little bit confused about the overall most important thing for the business. Yep. So how do you navigate that? Like as a leader and like, how do you, (laughs) you know, keep keep the ship steady, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm laughing because, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've suffered from that over the years. Um, you know, look, you, you got to get buy-in, uh, and, and there are, com- there are competing opinions about stuff, uh, and, and what's most important. And so, you know, we, we try and create, um, meetings. We, we frankly probably have a too heavy meeting culture in our business. And I, I'm sure that's a frustration for a lot of people. Um, but you know, we, we try and get everybody together and get agreement on, you know, what it is we're going to focus on. And, you know, sometimes you don't always get that agreement and somebody's got to make a decision on this is what we are going to focus on. And then we, we, uh, we move forward. Right. And then that is part of our culture as well is to, uh, you know, it's okay to disagree, but we commit. Um, and, and, and so that, that's how we've successfully handled that. Cool. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you can't ever get away from completely because to, to run a good business, no. you have to be able to shift. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, things look, um, what I 
think is a priority in January of 2022 may not be a priority in June of 2022, right? And, and you can't be so rigid that you say, well, geez, you know, we, we wrote that down in January or in December and said, this is what we're going to do in 2022. Well, you know, look, I, I had a lot of priorities in, uh, in, in January of 2020 and all those went out the window or the majority of them went out the window, you know, by March of 2020, right? And so, you know, we, we kind of, we, we all moved into, into crisis management mode and nobody knew you know what tomorrow would bring like are we all going to get this thing like you know is is the economy going to come to a grinding hold i mean the last two years has been a sort of fascinating case study in critical thinking priority management um you know taking care of people understanding the needs of of, of the people that you have and just trying to do the right thing for the various stakeholders in the business. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of companies handled it really well. Um, you know, we, we certainly tried, I think in general, uh, I would give us a, a, a B plus in, in the way that we handled it. There's, there's always things that you could do differently. And, um, you know, being able to take a step back and have a discussion about what that looks like and what you would do differently next time is, is really, really valuable. But, it just, it was, it's tested all of us. Uh, and, you know, successful organizations have, have, uh, you know, been flexible and, you know, it's, it's the other thing, Alex, uh, you know, we've all lived through it. So we, we, we've all experienced this is it really challenged a lot of assumptions, right? I mean, there was a, there was a big assumption out there, I think in corporate America that, well, people can't really be that successful working from home. Like we can't disperse out into the world and run successful organizations because, you know, we've all got to be in a room hashing stuff out and we've got to meet about all of this stuff. And, um, you know, th there were innovative companies um, that have been virtual for some time and kind of gone against that grain. Um, but the vast majority of companies had a notion and certainly out here in Silicon Valley, that was the case. Um, I, I don't know uh, if you remember when Marissa Meyer, who was, uh, you know, I think the last CEO of Yahoo. Yeah. Um, you know, she mandated that everyone had to come back to the office or into the office. And this is, gosh, I don't know, five years ago, maybe it's longer ago than that. I can't remember when she left the business, but um, she didn't feel that Yahoo could succeed unless people were in the same physical space. And, you know, what we found is that we actually got a lot more productivity out of a lot of the people in our business. You know, we've got certain people that have to be there. Um, we, we have, uh, you know, people who run our warehouses that have to be there. I mean, stuff's got to be received, stuff's got to be shipped, stuff's got to be counted, inventory's got to be done. Um, but our salespeople generally didn't have to be in the office. And, you know, several of them were driving an hour each way to come and go every day. And so they spent those two hours instead of in the car, you know, talking to customers, maybe listening to the radio, doing something else. They spent those two hours in front of their computers actually helping our customers. And so, you know, we, we got a lot of productivity improvements from that. And, you know, we, um, but we, we believe that ultimately um, spending more time back in the office is going to be a good thing, but um, we don't believe that being there five days a week is necessary anymore. Um, and, you know, we, we are going to be moving to a, a more hybrid type model. Uh, and I think, you know, a, a lot of people are getting benefit out of, um, you know, that, that new reality and that the challenge, the challenging of that big assumption that, that had been there, certainly ever since I've, I've been working. 
Yeah, I agree. And I like this trend of remote work. Um, I think the one caveat is that you can work remote from your country. And if, (laughs) but if you want to switch countries, you can't just like go take like a it, it like raises conflicts with like if you if you're in an expensive state and you want to go to another country and live there for a little bit and and um that can be you know tough to navigate but it's a small price to pay it generally speaking it's like the freedom is phenomenal to be able to live you know generally speaking wherever you want yeah absolutely and and, and look alex i think the other thing that, that we're all realizing is that um i mean Listen, if you're in a role in the business, and I'll go back to my selling organization, they don't spend a lot of their day in meetings, right? They spend a lot of their day dealing with customer uh, issues, inquiries, um, you know, selling. Um, I spend a lot of my day in meetings. A lot of my uh, friends that are still in technology, a lot of my colleagues spend a lot of day in meetings. Um, There's a huge amount of, you know, Zoom fatigue out there in the world, right? And so, you know, this is where I think, um, people are going to choose to come back to the office, you know, more than they have been so that they don't have to sit there in front of their laptop or some big screen, you know, like I have here in my home office, um, so that they can just manage the hours of, of, of virtual meetings that we're all uh, dealing with these days. Um, there is a balance there. And I, you know, again, um, I think it's a mistake if we go back to where we were, um, it's a mistake to, to stay virtual uh, all the time as well. So I think each organization has to navigate and, and, and figure out for itself, you know, where that balance lies. And, um, you know, just coming back to the theme of, of, of the discussion here, I mean, I think analytics can help guide um, a lot of those decisions because you can look at productivity of people. Um, you can understand you know, uh, things like absenteeism, you can understand all of this. And, you know, you need data to do that. And somebody has got to analyze that data. That's interesting. Yeah, I like, I like that it's kind of to the individual company um, to decide how to adapt. And to your previous point, I agree, I think that, like a lot of a lot of businesses did, did well, um, by employees, through COVID and did their best. And, you know, it was a really hard time for everybody. Nobody knew kind of what to expect. So um, businesses had to stay agile. And the businesses that were most successful were probably the ones that gave the most freedom um, to the employees during the stressful time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we we, we all needed to approach uh, our people with a lot of empathy and understand what they were dealing with, because everybody's situation was a little bit different. And um, you know, one, one truism I've found throughout my, my entire career is that whether you know it or not, everybody's got something going on in their private life. Uh, and then you just, you, you layer on COVID on whatever was happening before. And it, 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 in some cases just created a, a huge amount of stress and anxiety, um, for, for people. And, you know, if, if you wanted them to continue to be able to focus during the workday, you, you needed to empathize with that, understand that and create an environment where they could still manage whatever's going on, right, in their personal life, uh, as, as well as be productive, you know, uh, for the organization and for themselves. Makes a lot of sense. Curtis, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you again for coming on. 
Alex, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you very much. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you soon.